I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. It's getting kind of crowded out on the range. I guess everyone wants to see the red wave. It's high noon for Thursday, May 13th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me occasionally on Gab at I'm your moderator. And if you want some beautiful merchandise, head on over to www.cancelcotour.com. Today is the 113th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate ventriloquist dummy fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party to the point where he trusts everything Anthony Fauci says, another person who is fully compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. He is also the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You've done everything you can to make an absolutely false world resemble a real one. But you failed. And because you failed, you're going to have two choices. Either go absolutely insane in the near future or try to reattach to reality again. And the way you do that is by making yourself a redeemable communist, which just entails understanding that right now you are a communist and then being open to all the things you have missed. And the good part for a redeemable communist is that you don't even have to necessarily feel bad about it. You were tricked. And evil was done to you. And you may not yourself have done evil, which is what, of course, makes you redeemable. But even if you did, even if you treated friends and family terribly because you were so indoctrinated and so brainwashed into believing the central narrative that you rejected everyone from your life, the good part is that we'll forgive you as soon as you become American again. So... That's what I'm here to help you do, Redeemable Communist. And so I just want to welcome you. A big high noon Thursday welcome. You're not going to be safe here, but you will become American again. You're going to have to endure some mocking and some ridicule, but that's only because you hold so many stupid and evil ideas in your head. And those lead you into behaviors you most certainly are not going to be proud of in the future. But the thing is, most of us, if not all of us, have been there at some point in our lives. So we understand what you're going through. The difference between us actually isn't our political priorities. We hold most of the same ones. 
The difference between us is information. And I have to do a debate today, which I'm assuming will be a debate. I'll be on a panel or roundtable on the Braver's Angel podcast with my friend John Wood Jr. And John's going to moderate, and he's a pretty middle-of-the-road guy regardless. And there are two other people on the panel, one whose work I'm sort of familiar with and one who, whose work I'm not familiar with at all. And I, we're going to be discussing election fraud. So I have to assume that I am the only one in the conversation that is clear about the fact that election fraud is not in doubt and it's not something with baseless evidence and baseless claims. It is 100% true and obviously so. And I'm going to approach the conversation that way. If I find out that we're all on the same side of the issue, great. And then we can just discuss our different viewpoints and hopefully for whoever's listening, it will be you know, eye-opening and maybe even convincing on some level. But my goal is not to go in there and lay out the facts about election fraud because I think that that conversation is relatively pointless. If you don't currently understand the facts of election fraud and you don't believe in election fraud, then that is a direct result of you simply never looking. And one of the guys I think might be a fact checker of some sort it seems like he has an organization that is concerned with disinformation. And so if he does actually have his own little ministry of truth, this could be even more entertaining than I suspect. Because what that would indicate is that someone has done extensive work to support what is quite obviously a lie. And it's quite obviously a lie because it's clear that the people involved in the lie are doing everything they can to make sure no one ever realizes. Now, Katie Hobbs and Jocelyn Benson and people like Brad Raffensperger and uh, Kathy Bookvar, who no longer even holds her position, they all could be taking a much more serious and thoughtful and caring approach to what's happening right now. If I was a secretary of state and there were rampant claims of fraud in my state and I was acting in good faith, I would take it upon myself to examine those claims. I would especially be doing that if there was a forensic audit happening at that time. Because Katie Hobbs has put herself in a position where she is going to look absolutely terrible and she may well be committing crimes that come with a prison sentence. And that's not how an honest person would go about this process. She is a secretary of state. She is tasked to make sure that the elections in her state are free and fair and without fraud. So, if there's a forensic audit happening right now that could potentially prove fraud and she wasn't involved with it, she should be doing everything in her power to make sure that the audit is protected and safe and secure 
and that the result will come out. She could be using that audit to figure out which ways the Arizona election system might be insecure, might render unfair results. And then she could go about fixing those. That would be what a secretary of state acting in good faith would be doing. Instead, they're doing everything they can to try to cover up what is an obvious crime. And I'll go into that a little bit more later. But I'm going to find myself in a unique position, assuming that I am the only one in that group who may have voted for Donald Trump, which I'm going to ask, and who believes that there is obvious and overwhelming proof of election fraud. And if I am the only person in that position, then I'll be painted as the person who is on some level a conspiracy theorist. And I was thinking about that this morning because that is a difficult position to be put in. And I'm sure that we all know that because being open minded and discussing any of these issues at all gets you labeled that way. And then what they do is they ascribe to you a bunch of beliefs that you either don't hold at all or that you're open minded about but don't believe can be proven. And that's where I sit about all this stuff. There are some rather extreme claims on our side. And some of them I don't think are true. Some of them might be true, but I'm not sure. And so a person in my position will get painted as believing in all those things because I believe in this one thing. So I'll have a bunch of beliefs ascribed to me, which I just clearly do not believe. And then I'm going to have to conduct the conversation in a way that shows I'm taking seriously a bunch of people who actually have no idea what they're talking about. And again, I don't know that that's going to be the situation. I'm not trying to impugn anyone. But if you still think that forensic audits of this election aren't required, if you still think that all of this happened legitimately, then it's impossible to take you seriously as a person who has actually looked into it. You're just simply saying you haven't looked into it. And this is common across the spectrum of central narrative beliefs. And you know this based on what the tech companies censor, what the media won't report, and what politicians lie about. And they get corporations behind them. There's this whole series of things that are censored constantly that we are told we don't need to discuss because the answer is just true and the TV told you so. And so that's how you know. We can't talk about vaccines without being censored. We can't talk about Black Lives Matter, Antifa, domestic terrorists without being censored. We can't talk about masks without being censored. We can't talk about vaccines without being censored. There's a reason for that. And that reason is because anyone who actually researches any of those subjects and tries to find out whether or not there is substance to what we are saying would never believe the central narrative. Because even in cases like climate change, there are legitimate arguments on both sides. And they ignore that completely. They make sure that the arguments on one side can't be stated. Which 
should, to a normal person, expose the entire thing as a lie, but it doesn't. And I'm not saying that it's a lie all the way down. I'm saying that the narrative around the subject is a lie. Climate change may well be real and man-made, but that doesn't mean the way they talk about climate change is true. The way they talk about climate change is not true. But this isn't a discussion about climate change. I'm thinking about what position I'm going to be put in today. And we've all been put in this position many times. Even I'm not talking about debates. I'm talking about having to have conversations about these subjects with people who will try to immediately dismiss you by ascribing all these various beliefs to you when you do not believe them. I'm also talking about how difficult it is to stay calm and polite and kind in conversations where the people you're talking to don't know anything relevant about the subject you're discussing. So I hope that's not what I'm faced with today, but I fear that it might be. And in that case, it'll be even more fun. The podcast will eventually go up, I think, in a week or two. Um, John might have just said two weeks, but maybe he said one or two. can't remember. And then there will be video of it eventually. But in thinking about this today, and I might bring this up if there is an opportunity in the conversation, but the way that we are being treated right now, intellectually, I mean, I'm not like complaining or self-victimizing. I'm just talking about intellectually here. I was thinking about this scenario this morning. So let's say that we were on safari and we had a little camp and I was out roaming and on my roam, I saw a tiger. I don't know if tigers are on safari. I think they're probably not, but either way, don't call it safari. Let's say that we are just camping. How about that? So I see a tiger and the tiger sees me and it bears its teeth and growls at me and I start sprinting back toward the camp. <laughs> I get back to the camp, I turn around, the tiger's not behind me and I'm all out of breath, Looks look like I was just about to die because I potentially was and I say to the other people at the camp, I'm like, hey. There's a tiger out there, and it seemed like he wanted to kill me. And then someone at the camp, obviously a communist, stood up and said, A tiger? You didn't see a tiger? How many teeth does a tiger have? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And he goes, Well, tigers have 30 teeth, and if you saw one, you would know that. I'd be like, Okay. And then I just keep sprinting past the camp and never turn back. And that communist would be promptly eaten by a tiger. And I doubt while the tiger was ripping out its insides, that communist would be busy counting the teeth. And this is what we see. We see people ready to find a single factual error or a single point of incomplete knowledge. And on that basis, they'll reject the dire warning 
that you are giving them. And they will sit comfortably with that. And if the tiger never shows up, they'll think that they're actually right. But the truth is, I was right about the tiger, and the tiger will show up. And you're not going to have a chance to count the tiger's teeth. That's where we are. The weight of the claims being made is so important. These are massive claims. I understand that. And it's important to have really strong proof when you make a massive claim. We present that all the time. And by we, I mean myself and other people who are doing the same sort of thing I'm doing. And all of you who have these conversations in your normal life. The weight of evidence is 100% on our side. And the people in conversation with us pretend that what we are saying is definitely not true. But they're not going to look. And if they do look, they'll start seeing pieces that it is true. And then they'll reject those pieces. And maintain their original position. Well, you know, you you couldn't prove it well enough. So I'm just going to stay here. Okay, Kami. If that's what you want, stay there. But the tiger's real. And right now you're making a grave mistake. That not only hurts you, but it hurts everyone else. And... It's actually a mistake that's easily solvable because we can fully vet this situation before the tiger gets to us. And the way to do that is by simply forensically auditing all of the elections, which is the exact same position I had on November 4th. But we're not there. And the people aren't doing that work because they don't want that work done because they know what that work will show. And they can deny it all they want. They can do their little debunks as if those should be taken seriously. All they're doing is gathering pieces of disparate information from mainstream media and then saying that there's enough doubt that they side on the one side. And this is the same thing that centrists do. It's not that they're actually saying they have a solid position that they can maintain. They just simply say that both sides are bad, and that in some way is supposed to look sophisticated. Well, I know enough about this situation to know that both sides are bad. Okay, Kami, I know enough about this situation to know that you're wrong. And if you were being honest about this question, I could prove you wrong. So the problem actually isn't with my standard of proof or my degree of proof or my amount of proof. It's the fact that no matter what I do or say or prove, you are going to stay in the exact same position you were already in because being wrong scares you too much. So I guess we'll see how all of this goes. Now, let's talk some more about Nazi doctor Anthony Fauci. This is so crazy, though, because... If this happened because of the NIH funding, and that came from Dr. Fauci, and then this spreads into a global pandemic, and now he's in charge of the response in the United States, the irony of that, what do you make of that? 
Well, it's even, it's even worse than you make out. The person they appointed to investigate the lab from the WHO perspective is the guy who gave the money. So NIH gave the money to a group called EcoHealth. The head of EcoHealth, a guy named Asank, they got him to investigate whether Wuhan was doing anything inappropriate in their lab. But if they were, wouldn't he then be culpable? So doesn't he have a self-interest in smoothing things over? I'm not saying he did cover things up, but you wouldn't appoint someone who's in the line of uh, supply chain of giving the money to them because ultimately here's the rub. I don't know whether it came from the lab. Nobody knows whether it came from the lab, but who would be culpable? Dr. Sure. Fauci could be culpable for the entire pandemic. So could Dr. Sezank, Dezank, and so could Dr. Xi. I'm not saying that happened. I don't know. But you wouldn't put the people who gave the money to the Wuhan lab in charge of the investigation. That looks like a cover-up. No kidding. Great work, Rand. Except not so great on pronouncing Peter Daszak's name, but that's okay. I know you think that there's an N in there, but there's not. The reason I point this out is not to hammer home the point of Anthony Fauci's obvious guilt. It's to just note the fact that the conversation in mainstream media about Anthony Fauci's criminal activity in regard to this virus, this is now out there. And it's about time someone said it. I mean, I said it a year ago. Who cares, right? Who cares about listening to anybody saying true things way before everyone else knows them? Honestly, this is like just what I was talking about before. It is unbelievable to me that we are in a totally bizarro world of knowledge right now where you are considered smart for believing something a year later than you could have known it. That's insane. And that's exactly where we are on election fraud. Like, I, I hope for these guys' sake that they are not arguing there was no election fraud. Because... That is going to be a pitiful position. At some point, they are going to have to know that this is what they shouted out into the world. And they, on some level, could protect themselves from that incredible reputational harm that they are doing by simply opening their minds to what the other side is actually saying. Not pretending it's fake like Rachel Maddow does. Not making fun of it. Not trying to call it QAnon as if that is an actual defined thing that they can explain. If they took the idea seriously, they could prevent themselves from enduring all this future harm. But they're not doing it. And that, to me, is sad. And it's embarrassing. And all you would have to do to know you're wrong about these things is to actually pay attention to them at all, to actually investigate them, to actually listen to people who can tell you the truth about them. But they don't do it. And the craziest part about where their end of the movement is right now is that they keep putting our narratives out there as if they're dispelling them and not simply advertising them. Again, that's how little trust and little respect a person like Rachel Maddow has in and for her audience.
She thinks that by reporting what's being said on the other side and then making fun of it, she's destroying those stories. What she's really doing is putting out the stories and showing off her disrespect for her audience. She's not disproving any of these things. They keep losing over and over and over again. They're defending territory they shouldn't even be defending. Again, we're talking about an entire like woke communist movement who spent the last two weeks defending Dick Cheney's daughter. There are now Democrat groups in Wyoming who are calling Liz Cheney a hero and talking about fundraising for her to beat this Trump thing. They are so sure that she's right and that what the other side is is so dangerous that Democrats in Wyoming are going to try to elect Dick Cheney's daughter. And I think yesterday I only said Afghanistan instead of Iraq. But Dick Cheney is primarily responsible for maybe the worst decision in U.S. history. And Trump came out with a statement saying the same thing last night. But that's true. And it used to be a liberal position that that was true. Now liberals are just on board with the Iraq war. That's incredible. They're on board with Palestine right now and saying what Israel's doing is oppressive. And they're doing that while supporting state-sponsored terrorism, getting money and support from Iran, money from the United States. We are funding Hamas, and Hamas is attacking Israel, and Israel is striking back with full force. I, before I started recording today, I watched a video of a precision strike on a Hamas leadership facility. Just a building being utterly destroyed in the middle of a city. That's happening in the world right now, and the mainstream media doesn't seem to care. That's crazy. This is a conflict that could spark a hot version of World War III, and they don't seem to care. That's bananas. Now, I meant to talk about this yesterday, and the article is actually a few days old. This is from the uh, childrenshealthdefense.org. That's Robert Kennedy's organization. CDC changes rules for counting breakthrough cases as more fully vaccinated people test positive. A couple of other media sources have now picked this up. I know that Just the News did a story about it yesterday. This is legit, okay? The Centers for, the, uh, for Disease Control and Prevention will report only those breakthrough cases resulting in hospitalization or death. The agency also lowered the testing threshold, but only for the fully vaccinated. Isn't that incredible? Just the headline and subheadline is unbelievable. As more reports surface of breakthrough COVID cases inside and outside the U.S., the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention today said it will change how breakthrough cases are reported effective May 14th. According to a statement on the CDC's website, the agency said to help maximize the quality of data collected on cases of greatest clinical and public health importance, it will stop reporting weekly COVID breakthrough infections unless they result in hospitalization or death. 
The news also followed another change announced late last month in how PCR tests should be administered to the fully vaccinated. Now, breakthrough cases, of course, are COVID infections in people who have had the vaccine. This is happening all over the world. It is happening a lot, which should tell you at first glance, the vaccine doesn't work, at least not in any way that has ever before described a vaccine. Both changes will result in lower overall numbers of reports of breakthrough cases in the U.S. A breakthrough case is recorded if a person tests positive for SARS-CoV-2 two weeks after receiving the single dose of Johnson & Johnson or completing the two-dose Moderna or Pfizer vaccination. Got it? So they have lowered the PCR cycle threshold so that they are still overinflating the non-vaccinated cases the normal cases, as they have been the entire time. But they're lowering that cycle threshold to reduce false positives, which till now they have not cared at all about, or I should say until January they did not care at all about. But then they lowered that down a little bit so that Biden would look like he's saving the country from COVID. Now they're lowering it even further for fully vaccinated people. And they don't care if someone gets COVID unless it results in hospitalization or death. Why didn't they apply the same standard to the original COVID infections that weren't breakthrough cases? We could have avoided this entire thing if they had just done that logical thing and said, oh, hey, well, for pretty much 95 percent of the people who get this. And that's, by the way, I'm on the low side of that. I'm being charitable to the other side by saying 95 percent do not result in hospitalization or death. It's actually much higher than that. But even at 95%, the point is proven. If they had not worried about these asymptomatic and harmless cases, and they weren't counting all of the false positives on their case count, we would have an entirely different story about this pandemic. And the story would be, oh, I guess there's a new virus out there, but I certainly can't tell by just being out in the world, which is obvious to everyone. If we stopped talking about COVID, there would be no problem. All of this is self-inflicted by a totally irresponsible public health community and then a country where a big portion of the people are child-brained communists who can't think their way out of this problem. But of course, if they weren't counting all those cases, then they wouldn't have the asymptomatic spread narrative that they love. Not realizing, of course, that asymptomatic spread either never happens or happens so extremely rarely that they don't even have substantial documented proof of it happening. But the number of cases is the scary layer of the idea of asymptomatic spread. Because you think, oh, I can get it from anyone, even if they don't have COVID symptoms. No, you can't. And then you think, oh, everyone has COVID. Look at the number. Except the number's wrong. And so knowing those two things, that whole bit falls away. Which is why they try to convince you that those two things aren't true, even though they are. And with proper PCR cycle thresholds, you find out that 96% or 95% of the COVID deaths 
were from something other than COVID. And only 5% of the deaths in the country list COVID as the only cause. That's it. That's because of cycle thresholds. That's because they're testing people after they die. Or they record a death within 60 days of a positive COVID test as a COVID death. And that shouldn't make sense to anyone. Back to the article. In April, the CDC issued new guidance to laboratories recommending reducing the RT-PCR cycle threshold value to 28 cycles, but only for those fully vaccinated individuals being tested for COVID. In an RT-PCR test, the gold standard for detecting SARS-CoV-2, RNA is extracted from the swab collected from the patient. It is then converted into DNA, which is then amplified. CT, or cycle threshold, is a value that emerges during RT-PCR tests. A CT value refers to the number of cycles needed to amplify viral RNA to reach a detectable level. According to the Indian Council of Medical Research, a patient is considered positive for COVID if the CT value is below 35. In other words, if the virus is detectable after 35 cycles or earlier, then the patient is considered positive. And I think that would have been more clearly written if it said at 35 or earlier rather than after 35 cycles or earlier. Kind of makes you think both directions. Dr. Anthony Fauci recommends a CT value of 35. Globally, the accepted cutoff for CT value for COVID ranges between 35 and 40, depending on instructions from manufacturers of testing equipment. If the benchmark were to be lowered to 24, it would mean the CT values in the range 25 to 34 would not be considered positive, according to the Indian Council of Medical Research, as reported by the Indian Express. A benchmark of 35, therefore, means that more patients would be considered positive than we would get if the benchmark were 24. In other words, lowering CT threshold parameter may lead to missing infectious persons. Now, you might say, why is everyone in the world using such a high standard? And you would be right. There's not a great reason for that. They clearly want to catch more, quote unquote, cases. And if you spend any time looking into the PCR tests, you'll see that they should be down closer to 20 for the cycle threshold. This is why we're getting so many false positives. The PCR test is not reliable at all. Because the change in how CDC will report breakthrough cases is still being implemented and won't take effect until May 14th, the CDC did not report new numbers this week. According to the latest available numbers, as of April 26th, the CDC reported 9,245 people had tested positive for COVID at least two weeks after getting their final COVID vaccination. About 9%, or 835, people required hospitalization and 132 died. Of the hospitalized patients, 241 were said to be asymptomatic or having an illness not related to COVID, and 20 deaths were reported as asymptomatic or not related to the disease. Got that? So, again, one of the ways that the cases have gone up so much and that hospitalizations and deaths have gone up so much this entire time is because people who come into the hospital for anything are tested for COVID, okay? So you could go in there for a broken arm and you would be tested for COVID. And if you test positive, even asymptomatically and even due to the extraordinarily high cycle threshold, you would not only be counted as a positive COVID case, you would also be counted as a COVID hospitalization, even though you are not in the hospital for COVID. 
The latest numbers are from 46 states and territories. It's not clear which four states didn't submit breakthrough case figures to the CDC. These surveillance data are a snapshot and help identify patterns and look for signals among vaccine breakthrough cases, the CDC said in an April 27th statement. As CDC and state health departments shift to focus only on investigating vaccine breakthrough cases that result in hospitalization or death, those data will be regularly updated and posted every Friday. Got that? So they only care about breakthrough cases that result in hospitalization or death, which ultimately means that the number of breakthrough cases they'll be reporting is much lower than the actual number of breakthrough cases. That is another complete fraud being perpetrated by our medical community. It's going to make the vaccines look more effective than they are. And it's an entirely different standard than they've used not only the entire time, but as this article says quite clearly, than they're using on everyone else who has not been vaccinated. According to CDC, actual vaccine breakthrough numbers are likely higher as the surveillance system is passive and relies on voluntary reporting from state health departments and may not be complete. In addition, some breakthrough cases will not be identified due to lack of testing. That's also true with the bulk of cases that happen in real life, since so many are asymptomatic and then people do not get tested, which is why they have testing on all sorts of things, because they're trying to keep the case count high by finding those asymptomatic cases. This is particularly true in instances of asymptomatic or mild illness, CDC said. The CDC said vaccines are still effective, noting the breakthrough cases represent a small percentage of those who have been vaccinated. And it's an especially small percentage when you completely change the definition of what a case is. And then they go on briefly to discuss Seychelles, which is the most vaccinated country in the world, and they are having an extraordinary amount of breakthrough cases. But don't worry, the vaccines are totally effective. Between January 1st and April 28th, California public officials recorded 3,084 breakthrough cases of COVID, the Sacramento Bee reported. As more time passes and more people are fully vaccinated, it is likely that additional post-vaccination cases will occur, the California Department of Public Health said in a statement. Post-vaccination cases are recorded if a person tests positive, blah, 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 same thing as before. The state health department did not have information on hospitalizations and deaths attributed to breakthrough cases. The defender previously reported on breakthrough cases in Washington, Florida, South Carolina, Texas, New York, California, and Minnesota. So let's just back up to this California public health statement. As more time passes and more people are fully vaccinated, it is likely that additional post-vaccination cases will occur. Got that? So that statement is in direct opposition to what they are telling us about herd immunity and specifically vaccine-based herd immunity. If the number of vaccinated people continues to rise and with that, the number of breakthrough cases continues to rise, then it should be quite clear that vaccines are not helping get us to herd immunity. Vaccines are supposed to prevent people from getting the infection and prevent it from spreading. And instead, we are now being told that an effective vaccine reduces the likelihood of severe illness. But we already had plenty of treatments that reduce the likelihood of severe illness. We have plenty of treatments, therapeutics, that can make sure people don't die from COVID. Where's that factored in? Nowhere, of course. So they come out and say, 
that even if you're fully vaccinated, it's pretty obvious that you can still get COVID. And they're focused specifically on hospitalizations and deaths. Now, for me to be consistent, I am happy to say that most of those hospitalizations and deaths are likely not from COVID. They are likely with COVID. But if we're supposed to imagine that the vaccine prevents you from even having a serious case of the illness, that also is in opposition to the idea that these vaccinated cases end up in hospitalization and death. They are admitting the problem. This stuff is so convoluted and they make it that way so that people can't actually be sure about anything. They Again, the other day we talked about less than 10% of COVID transmissions occur outdoors. And it turns out the research the CDC reported didn't say that. It was from construction sites. So what you would have to do to make those construction sites be outdoors is just classify construction site as outdoors, even when you don't know it was outdoors. And the, and the uh, people who did the study in Singapore said the same thing. They're like, we never said these were outdoors, but the CDC did so that they could get the 10% number and base it on this one study, or maybe it was two studies, both on from construction sites in Singapore. The actual number of transmission outdoors is 0.1%. That's what the same information said. That's one out of a thousand cases occurs outdoors. And they also said that the cases outdoors do not occur through casual contact, like walking past someone on the sidewalk or sitting at a nearby table at a restaurant. So what we have is the CDC reporting a scary number that is totally inaccurate, but yet not quite a lie because they they can just say, oh, well, yeah, I mean, 0.1% is less than 10%. And we said it was less than 10%. That is just irresponsible. That is corruption and fraud in a public health institution that we are expected to trust and respect. Even when we can see them going out and getting guidance from teachers unions about how they should set their guidelines. And I'm open to Rochelle Walensky's argument that they do that because they're actually concerned about the practical application of their guidances. That's just fine. But they don't do that when it comes to unemploying entire swaths of people. They don't do that when it comes to their masking guidelines for children or their vaccination guidelines for children. And if they're going to do that while still maintaining their air as the oracle of the science, then they should at least admit that that part of what they're doing actually isn't scientific at all. They are allowing the science to be overridden by the needs of teachers. And they don't apply that to airplanes, for instance. People sit right next to each other on the plane. Masks don't do anything. And people were flying without masks last year when the COVID pandemic was more prevalent. So how does that work, commies? It's really just that you're doing the bidding of the teachers union and you're using the idea that people's kids are at risk to impose an emotional cost on proper guidance. 
That is not science. And we need to stop pretending that it is. And so yesterday, a letter, an open letter was written by a group of retired generals and admirals in the United States military. And this is very similar to what we've seen out of the military in France. And that is actually getting some momentum. The French military is warning the French people and the French government that they are about to lose their country and lose their society. They understand the weight of what's happening in the world right now, which is great. So when this popped up yesterday, I assumed that the media would begin trying to tear apart certain people who signed on to the letter. And I'm sure on some level they're doing that or waiting to do it. But the Daily Mail, who has been absolutely crushing it lately and putting out real news, I don't know why, but I'm happy they are. They made this a big headline. And here's their headline. His mental and physical condition cannot be ignored. More than 120 retired generals and admirals sign open letter questioning Biden's mental health and backing election fraud claims. That's real. Let's focus on the letter, though, because I don't need the Daily News's, the Daily Mail's coverage of it. Our nation is in deep peril. We are in a fight for our survival as a constitutional republic like no other time since our founding in 1776. The conflict is between supporters of socialism and Marxism versus supporters of constitutional freedom and liberty. During the 2020 election, an open letter from senior military leaders was signed by 317 retired generals and admirals, and it said the 2020 election could be the most important election since our country was founded. With the Democrat Party welcoming socialists and Marxists, our historic way of life is at stake. Unfortunately, that statement's truth was quickly revealed, beginning with the election process itself. Without fair and honest elections that accurately reflect the will of the people, our constitutional republic is lost. Election integrity demands ensuring there is one legal vote cast and counted per citizen. Legal votes are identified by state legislatures, approved controls using government IDs, verified signatures, etc. Today, many are calling such common sense controls racist in an attempt to avoid having fair and honest elections. Using racial terms to, to suppress proof of eligibility is itself a tyrannical intimidation tactic. Additionally, the rule of law must be enforced in our election process to ensure integrity. The FBI and Supreme Court must act swiftly when election irregularities are surfaced and not ignore them as was done in 2020. Finally, H.R. 1 and S. 1, if passed, would destroy election fairness and allow Democrats to forever remain in power, violating our Constitution and ending our representative republic. Aside from the election, the current administration has launched a full-blown assault on our constitutional rights in a dictatorial manner, bypassing the Congress with more than 50 executive orders quickly signed, many reversing the previous administration's effective policies and regulations. Moreover, population control actions such as excessive lockdowns, school and business closures, and most alarming, censorship of written and verbal expression are all direct assaults on our fundamental rights. We must support and hold accountable politicians who will act to counter socialism, Marxism, and progressivism support our constitutional republic, and insist on fiscally responsible governing while focusing on all American citizens, especially the middle class, not special interests or extremist groups, which are used to divide us into warring factions. Additional national security issues and actions. Open borders jeopardize national health security by increasing human trafficking, drug cartels, terrorist entry, health and COVID-19 dangers, and humanitarian crises. Illegals are flooding our country, bringing high economic costs, crime, lowering wages, and illegal voting in some states. 
We must reestablish border controls and continue the building the wall while supporting our dedicated border control personnel. Sovereign nations must have controlled borders. China is the greatest existential threat to America. Establishing cooperative relations with the Chinese Communist Party emboldens them to continue progress toward world domination, militarily, economically, politically, and technologically. We must impose more sanctions and restrictions to impede their world domination goal and protect America's interests. The free flow of information is critical to the security of our republic, as illustrated by freedom of speech and the press being in the First Amendment of our Constitution. Censoring speech and expression, distorting speech, spreading disinformation by government officials, private entities, and the media is a method to suppress the free flow of information, a tyrannical technique used in closed societies. We must counter this on all fronts, beginning with, the removing, with removing Section 230 protection from big tech. Reengaging in the flawed Iran nuclear deal would result in Iran acquiring nuclear weapons, along with the means to deliver them, thereby upsetting Mideast peace initiatives and aiding a terrorist nation whose slogans and goals include death to America and death to Israel. We must resist the new China-Iran agreement and not support the Iran nuclear deal. In addition, continue with the Mideast peace initiatives, the Abraham Accords, and support for Israel. Stopping the Keystone Pipeline eliminates our recently established energy independence and causes us to be energy dependent on nations not friendly to us, while eliminating valuable U.S. jobs. We must open the Keystone Pipeline and regain our energy independence for national security and economic reasons. Using the U.S. military as political pawns with thousands of troops deployed around the U.S. Capitol building, patrolling fences guarding against a non-existent threat, along with forcing politically correct policies like the divisive critical race theory into the military at the expense of the war-fighting mission, seriously degrades readiness to fight and, our, and win our nation's wars, creating a major national security issue. We must support our military and vets, focus on war-fighting, eliminate the corrosive inf- infusion of political correctness into our military, which damages morale and war-fighting cohesion. The rule of law is fundamental to our republic and security. Anarchy, as seen in certain cities, cannot be tolerated. We must support our law enforcement personnel and insist that DAs, our courts, and the DOJ enforce the law equally, fairly, and consistently toward all. The mental and physical condition of the commander-in-chief cannot be ignored. He must be able to quickly make accurate national security decisions involving life and limb anywhere, day or night. Recent Democrat leadership's inquiries about nuclear code procedures sends a dangerous national security signal to nuclear-armed adversaries, raising the question about who is in charge. We must always have an unquestionable chain of command. Under a Democrat Congress and the current administration, our country has taken a hard left turn towards socialism and Marxist form of tyrannical government, which must be countered now by electing congressional and presidential candidates who will always act to defend our constitutional republic. The survival of our nation and its cherished freedoms, liberty, and historic values are at stake. We urge all citizens to get involved now at the local, state, and or national level to elect political representatives who will act to save America our constitutional republic, and hold those currently in office accountable. The will of the people must be heard and followed. And then there is a very, very long line of signees. That letter is wonderful. And we should all push this thing out there as much as it can be pushed out. They will try to attack the people who signed on to the letter. And they will do that from the weakest position imaginable. On their side, they often do this sort of thing where they sign on to an open letter. And the people who sign on to that letter are always the same people. And virtually every single one of those people are provably 
corrupt and provably dishonest. Most of them were involved with, for instance, the Russia hoax. Consider the 50 former intelligence officers who said that Hunter Biden's computer was Russian disinformation. They knew that not to be true. They also had no way of supporting that it was true because they were former officials. These guys are former military leaders as well, but they're not making claims that they couldn't know. The former intelligence officials were doing exactly that. And of course, you can see it in their language as well, because those 50 former intelligence officials said that their conclusion was that it had all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. They had no direct knowledge whatsoever. And then the actual acting DNI came out and said that that wasn't true. But because what these 50 former officials were doing supports the central narrative, they were taken seriously, even though they were obviously lying and provably lying. And now it's just straight up admitted that they were lying. Unless you are a communist who doesn't follow anything, you'll know that the Hunter Biden laptop is 100% true. You could actually watch Hunter Biden's interview where he attempts to cast some doubt about the reality of it and fails dramatically. He can't even say it's not true. Joe Biden never said it wasn't true. No one from their campaign actually ever denied that it was true. They only made reference to the 50 former intelligence officials. They were relying on the authority of those people's credentials, knowing full well that people addicted to the central narrative would not bother looking and would never be able to dispute it. So they just go with the main story, the top line story. People didn't even read the article or the letter, I should say, that those 50 former intelligence officials signed. They assumed that it said what the media told them it said. And they went with it. They censored people for stating the truth about Hunter Biden's laptop. That's where we are. This letter doesn't make any claims that require special access or access to classified information or any sort of special knowledge. These are things that every American knows to be true. And communists, of course, will deny it. While they are also saying, oh, well, socialism is not that bad. It works, works great in Norway. No, it doesn't. You don't know anything about Norway either, Kami. And why are you always focused on the socialist nations that you believe are all white? Why don't you focus on Venezuela? Why don't you focus on Cuba? Riddle me that, Kami. And of course, the biggest issue of all today is what's happening in Arizona right now. It seems that the Arizona County Board of Supervisors deleted the entire election database just 10 days before they were forced to hand all the information over. And this is a letter from Karen Fan, the Arizona Senate president, to the Maricopa County Supervisor Chairman Jack Sellers. Dear Chairman Sellers, I am writing to seek your assistance and cooperation in the resolution of three serious issues that have arisen in the course of the Senate's ongoing audit of the returns of the November 3rd, 2020 general election in Maricopa County. 
The first issue concerns Maricopa County's apparent intent to renege on its previous commitment to fully comply with the legislative subpoenas issued on January 13th, 2021, which, as you know, Judge Thomason found were valid and enforceable. To date, attorneys from Maricopa County have refused to to produce virtual images of routers used in connection with the general election, relying on a conclusory and unsupported assertion that providing the routers would somehow endanger the lives of law enforcement officers, their operations, or the protected health information and personal data of Maricopa County citizens. If true, the fact that Maricopa County stores on its routers substantial quantities of citizens and employees' highly sensitive personal information is an alarming indictment of the county's lax data security practices rather than of the legislative subpoenas. Similarly, the county's assertion that producing the Internet routers for inspection would cost up to $6 million seems at odds with the Deputy County Attorney Joseph LaRue's prior representation to audit liaison Ken Bennett that the routers already had been disconnected from the county's network and were prepared for imminent delivery to the Senate. Nevertheless, in an effort to resolve the dispute regarding production of the routers, we propose that agents of Cypher, an experienced digital forensics firm and subcontractor of Cyber Ninjas, review virtual images of the relevant routers in Maricopa County facilities and in the presence of representatives of the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. Such an arrangement would prevent or would permit. Maricopa County to retain custody and monitor the review of router data while ensuring the Senate may access the information it requires and to which it is constitutionally entitled to successfully complete its audit. The Senate has no interest in viewing or taking possession of any information that is unrelated to the administration of the 2020 general election. Separately, Maricopa County has refused to provide the passwords necessary to access vote tabulation devices. Its attorney's insistence that the county does not have custody or control of this information is belied by the county's conduct of its own audits, which, if they were as comprehensive as they purported to be, almost certainly would have entailed use of the passwords to examine the tabulation devices. And it strains credulity to posit that the county has no contractual right to obtain, i.e. control, password information from Dominion. As the audit has progressed, the Senate's contractors have become aware of apparent omissions, inconsistencies, and anomalies relating to Maricopa County's handling, organization, and storage of ballots. We hope you can assist us in understanding these issues, including specifically the following. The county has not provided any chain of custody documentation for the ballots. Does such documentation exist? And if so, will it be produced? By the way, the chain of custody documentation is required to certify elections. The bags in which the ballots were stored are not sealed, although the audit team has found at the bottom of many boxes cut seals of the type that would have sealed a ballot bag. Why were these seals placed at the bottom of the boxes? Batches within a box are frequently separated by only a divider without any indication of the corresponding batch numbers. In some cases, the batch dividers are missing altogether. This lack of organization has significantly complicated and delayed the audit team's ballot processing efforts. What are the county's procedures for sorting, organizing, and packaging ballot batches? Most of the ballot boxes were sealed merely with regular tape and not secured by any kind of tamper-evident seal. Is that the county's customary practice for storing ballots? The audit team has encountered a significant number of instances in which there is a disparity between the actual number of ballots contained in a batch and the total denoted on the pink report slip accompanying the batch. In most of these instances, the total on the pink report slip is greater than the number of ballots in the batch, although there are a few instances in which the total is lower. What are the reasons for these discrepancies? For your reference, please see several illustrative, not comprehensive examples in the table below. And they have these examples. Uh, A pink slip total of 200 
an actual total of 198, a pink slip total of 200, an actual total of 165. That's a huge difference. That's a 17% difference, 17.5% difference in that one batch. The difference allowable is like 0.0008. And this is 17%. And they attach more images. And then finally, we have recently discovered that the entire database directory from the D drive of the machine EMS primary has been deleted. This removes election-related details that appear to have been covered by the subpoena. In addition, the main database for the election management system software, results, tally, and reporting, is not located anywhere on the EMS primary machine, even though all of the EMS clients reference that machine as the location of the database. This suggests that the main database for all election-related data for the November 2020 general election has been removed. Can you please advise as to why these folders were deleted and whether there are any backups that may contain the deleted folders? The image below shows the location of the files known to be deleted. In addition, the main database for results, tally, and reporting is not present. I am hopeful that we can constructively resolve these issues and questions without recourse to additional subpoenas or other compulsory processes. To that end, I invite you and blah, blah, blah. She invites them to a hearing on Tuesday. That is obvious corruption and an obvious cover-up attempt. And the crazy thing is they're still going to get the information anyway. But these people are exposing themselves at every turn. This is not how people act when they know they ran a legitimate election. All of this could have been over. All of it could have been over right away last fall if everyone had just agreed to a forensic audit. Instead, we were censored. We were called the people who were perpetrating the big lie as this as if the big lie even makes sense in this direction. Of course, it doesn't at all. They have tried to hold us all accountable somehow for the very violent insurrection, and they have tried to label us terrorists. But this is how they act. What are you trying to cover up, Kami? You don't act like this if you're telling the truth. Spoilation of evidence is actually a real crime for which people can be imprisoned. And we're going to see that because they have committed that crime in service of trying to cover up what this election actually is. They're trying to figure out ways that they can cast doubt on what happened in this whole audit process in hopes that it's not going to be repeated everywhere else around the country. The problem is they're too late and we're not stopping. These people are going to go to prison. The election was obviously a fraud. This is overwhelming evidence of fraud. These people are criminals. And now Kelly Ward, who is the chairwoman of the Arizona GOP, says that legal action is eminent. Last night, she put out a statement. She puts out a statement almost every night uh, updating the Arizona audit situation. She said the Democrat plan for re-engineering our country starts with open borders and open elections. Forget the rules. Anyone can enter our country illegally. And if you ask for voter identification or try to stop phony mail-in ballots from being counted or try to stop those dead people from voting, well, that is what those Democrats call voter suppression. And at this very moment, while the hand counting of ballots continues, there's a lot happening behind the scenes and legal action is imminent. 
And now Maricopa County recorder Stephen uh, Richet or Richer has revealed in a letter to voters that he learned that prior to his term, a breach of voter identification information occurred last election cycle and is now being investigated by law enforcement. If I was a Democrat, I think I'd be in a frenzy myself. And so they are. They are panicking. And now Joe Biden, as reported in Politico, his DOJ thinks that they're going to arrest Donald Trump for something that Cy Vance has supposedly found in New York City. They are going to try to imprison a political opponent with absolutely no evidence of wrongdoing. That is shocking. That is amazing. But it doesn't matter because we win. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range.
It's hell!